I'm Dr. Phil Carruthers, and this is All the Phil's, where I share with you my personal life experiences, including some professional ones. If you're looking for encouragement, hope, and some fun stories, you come to the right place. On today's episode, I talk about relationships, my experience with marriage, and my experience with the divorce. Let's get to it. Welcome back. Episode 5. Here we are. If you're a first-time listener, I am so excited for you to join us today on this show. Uh, we're having a great time so far. Shared a lot of things. I have way more things to share with you. Uh, so I'm glad you're here. Uh, if you're a continuing listener, thank you. Thank you for supporting the show and for reaching out. I've had many of you reach out to me and just provide that encouragement to me and let me know that the show is not boring that it's a fun show it's exciting to listen to uh, whether you know you're at the gym uh, whether you're in busy traffic whether you're, you know whatever you may be doing i'm happy to be part of your life in some way uh, for the amount of time that we have so thank you for being a continued support uh, we are here episode five so i've had many of you uh, reach out to me and you're ex- you love hearing about my updates with residency and i love providing those updates. So I definitely want to provide that here. Uh, So, you know, we're almost, uh, you know, we're halfway through uh, week three uh, in my first uh, month as a pathology resident. And let me tell you what, it is a fun time. It is a fun time to learn. It is a fun time to experience all these different uh, learning opportunities, whether it be grossing new specimens. You know, uh, we talked about how Grossing involves, you know, you know, physically looking at something, taking dimensions, cutting it apart, uh, finding, you know, trying to differentiate normal from abnormal just, you know, by knowing your anatomy and being able to prepare that specimen so that it can be, you know, taken for uh, further looks by the pathologist. You know, eventually the one thing that I'm going to be doing one day, looking under a microscope and saying, huh, all right, this looks malignant, this looks benign, this does not look right you know, just preparing for that. That's pretty exciting. And, you know, as a pathology resident, you know, um, you know, in the future, I mean, this is, so right now, this is the grossing that we do, you know, actually touching the specimens, preparing them. This is actually what, as a pathologist, uh, you know, as a pathology resident, this is the only time really within our residency that we're going to actually be doing this grossing. So, you know, when you're in attending, when you're, you know, you're not going to be preparing the specimens. They actually have, um, you know, uh, techs that do that, that prepare it for you. They go to schooling, um, you know, for long periods of time to prepare for this. Uh, they know their anatomy and, you know, they're teaching us, you know, uh, pathology residents on, you know, how to gross this thing, how to prepare specimens. You know, what should we look for? Hey, should we use ink here? You know, when should we not use ink? Um, you know, all the, all the fun pathology stuff, you know, and um, it's, it's been really exciting. Gotten to, you know, prepare a lot of different specimens, uh, you, know, you know, I mean, ranging from your polyps. I've gotten to do a couple of gallbladders with a bunch of gallstones. Um, you know, I've gotten to see a bunch of, uh, you know, got to start on um, doing placentas, you know, like, uh, you know, the afterbirth. Uh, you know, just getting to see that, that has really been um, an experience. It really has. I mean, I'm like, I'm holding these organs. I'm, I'm holding these, uh, right here in my hand and I'm getting to, you know, really use my anatomic, uh, knowledge and, uh, really looking for, you know, normal versus abnormal. And I'm also trying to be the eyes 
uh, for you know the uh, attending pathologist uh, because a lot of times they're they're not going to see the whole specimen. They're not going to see this whole organ. They're not going to see the whole gallbladder, the whole you know kidney, the you know whatever we give them, the whole heart, the whole lung. They're only going to see sections of it under a microscope or what we submit. So you know our description in our report has got to be you know pretty spot on. You know if you were to close your eyes and somebody just read out you know, dimensions and colors and, you know, the, you know, what things look like, their shape, their size, how much it weighs, you know, as a attending pathologist, can you imagine this, right? Obviously we can take pictures, you know, we have that ability to take pictures of some specimens, but we don't take pictures of everything, right? That would take a, they would take a good minute, but you know, things that require, you know, photos, if there's, you know, something really, really wrong, something that may just, you know, not look right, or if we question it, we don't know necessarily if it is a malignant thing, right? We're not diagnosing at that point. We're just grossing the specimen. Uh, so, we, you know, we prepare it. That's what we do. So that's been fun. Uh, you know, have gotten to do like morning lectures along with, you know, grossing, uh, you know, really getting familiar with what things look under a microscope. You know, I mean, knowing cells, learning more about the cells and their characteristics, and also being able to decipher between, you know, malignancy versus benign natures. You know, is this an adenocarcinoma? Is this a squamous cell carcinoma? Is this an acinar adenocarcinoma? All those uh, carcinomas, you know, it's been fun being able to recognize all that. I've also got to help with autopsies as well. That's been very interesting. You know, obviously, again, like we talked about on my last episode, you know, we want to have that, uh, you know, respect factor for the families. You know, we're, we're trying to be investigators. We're trying to figure out, you know, is there more to, you know, what led to their demise? Um, you know, which has been, has been fun. Um, you know, I'm, I'm finally, you know, not just sitting back and watching. I'm actually now doing some hands-on stuff, you know. Um, and really, I get asked a lot, like, does it freak you out that you're just with these dead bodies? And I'm thinking to myself, well, no. I mean, these were, these were people. I want to find answers for their families. I want to find answers for myself. And before each autopsy, you know, we do a chart review. And essentially what that is, you're looking at progress notes. You're looking at the admission note. You're looking at all their history. You're looking at things that potentially could have been involved in their potential cause of death or maybe some risk factors uh, that could have led to their demise. You know, little things like that. But the investigation of it, that's what's exciting, you know, is is investigating and trying to put two and two together. Um, now, obviously, we can't determine a cause of death, boom, right then and there. What we do, we, you know, we, we just like engrossing, right? We have the individual organs. We take, you know, pieces of it, and we submit it for, you know, uh, microscopy. Uh, we, you know, look under a microscope, see what we see, you know, if there's anything. And, and we do further investigation after that. It's a whole process, but it, it's exciting to talk about just because, you know, I, I, I truly do love what I'm doing right now. I, I love all aspects of the pathologic state, right? If it's not pathologic, it's physiologic, you know? Pathology is literally physiology gone wrong, okay? So that's that's pathology in a, in a super, super big nutshell. Um, but yeah, so it's it's been fun. All right, so let's get into the meat of it, and I'm going to be honest with you. I think I put off uh, recording this episode for the longest time because I am going to be putting myself out there and I'm going to be talking about uh, my divorce. I will. Um, this has been a trying time 
for my close friends who know me. Um, you, you've seen, <laughs> you've seen me cry. You've heard me cry. You've heard me yell, scream, cuss, uh, question everything. Um, question myself probably more than anything. And I've been, I have not wanted to do this episode. I really didn't want to, but I know the whole purpose of this podcast is to, you know, not just for me to vent, right? Not for me to just help process everything that's going on. It's also allowed me to hopefully help you, the listener, maybe relate to what I'm going through. And so I'm not going to go right into the divorce. I'm not. I'm going to talk about fun stuff, okay? Because it's all the feels, right? And all the feels, 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 <laughs> all right? And and I figured, you know what? Let's start off with something fun, you know, a fun little story. So um, my first crush, I was six years old, um, and this was really my first crush, okay? I mean, I think it was a month after I had my sixth, sixth birthday party. You know, my birthday's in July. Yes, it is. Uh, this month, my birthday is actually this Friday. I will be, uh, I've decided I'm going to be 26 this year. So <laughs> that's what I've decided. Um, but yeah, my birthday is this Friday. So exciting times. So anyway, I remember my six-year-old birthday party. It was like a Batman theme. And I, it was, had like all these Batman toys come out. I was like, oh man, this is awesome. I love being a kid. And then a month later, man, there's a girl. I like her. She's cute. I want to impress her. I want to uh, I want to get to know this person. She is just so pretty, and I just could not believe it. Um, I think that was the first dream I ever had about a girl was when I was six, and I remember her. I remember that specific person. That was my first crush. And so, um, you know, I live, you know, uh, I lived in uh, Huntsville, Alabama, you know, North Alabama area, and, um, you know, we were... Uh, I, I remember telling my grandma about this, you know, my grandma, she raised, she helped raise me. She's been there ever since, uh, my mom gave birth. So it's my mom's mom, strongest woman that I know. She has the best work, work ethic that I know. Um, you see her chopping down trees in the yard. You see her pushing the wheelbarrow, shoveling. I mean, she, she does it all. She knows manual labor. She really does. Um, I come to find out that she was, uh, she was in the air force, I believe. And, you know, that was news to me. I didn't know that. I think I learned about that history factoid like a month or two ago. So that was pretty cool. She is, is, uh, 96, I believe she's 96, but she has the strength of a (laughs) 26 year old person. So, uh, if her and I were in a ring, she would she would beat me <laughs> round one. Uh, she is strong and she's a feisty lady. I love her to death. I love her work ethic. Anyway, so I remember meeting my crush uh, for the first time. I remember exactly where we were, met her on a, I think it was like a Thursday or Friday. And the entire weekend I was like, you know, what can I do to impress this girl? What can I do? I want to do something. I want to give her something. And you know, if cartoons have taught us anything, if Rugrats or Doug or, you know, those are my shows right there, you know, Rugrats, Doug, uh, Hey Arnold, you know, if any of those shows from back, you know, those Nickelodeon shows from back then taught us anything is that flowers mean something to a girl, okay, they mean something, and I knew, I was like, ah, that's my way to a girl's heart is a flower, so what I do, I go out, and uh, I find like a little rose bush, right, 
And I, I know nothing about horticulture. I know nothing about flower maintenance. I just know what looks pretty and it matches the pretty girl. Okay, so I was going to grab this thing. Uh, I grabbed some scissors, not uh, not some pruners or anything like that. I just grabbed some good old-fashioned scissors. I think they were like the safety kind. So I was working my way through, it was like, you know, two inches below the actual flower, like on that little stem, right? And I am working, I am working and work. I two-handed. One hand's not enough. I am two-handing it, kind of like the little shears, you know, that you use for your hedges. And I finally get this thing off, right? And I'm so excited. And then I realize, well, I have to keep this thing alive because, well, it's Friday and it's not Monday. And that's when I see her next. I see her Monday morning. And so I'm panicking. I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? And I go to my grandma. I run to her. She is, she's the horticulture queen. You know, she knows what to do. And uh, <laughs> we take this thing. We put it in a Ziploc bag and then we fill it up with water uh, just a little bit of water and then just kind of empty it out, you know, keep it kind of moist inside. And we stick this thing in the fridge and uh, over the weekend. And I guarantee you, I checked on this thing every hour. I wanted to make sure, you know, are you alive? Okay, close the door, open the door. Are you alive? Are you okay? You know, I, I would reposition it in the bag so it wouldn't get, you know, you know, it wouldn't have any folds in it, uh, anything like that. I wanted this thing to be perfect. I knew that if this was perfect, she would perfectly like me back. That was my thinking. If this was perfect, she would perfectly like me back. And when I say perfectly like me back, it's one of those situations of I like her, she likes me back the same amount. So I don't know if you've ever been in relationships where you like somebody, you know, like it's full 110% on your side, but eh, 10 to 15% on their side. Uh, you know when you're in a relationship like that. You're sending, you know, six, seven text messages and they send little one, two word responses back. That's not a situation you want to be in. Um, but that's what I was hoping for. I was hoping for that, that perfect liking back, you know, I mean, that for lack of a better word or phrase, I mean, I was young at the time. Um, I just, I wanted it to be perfect. And so, like I said, checked it every hour throughout that entire weekend. Um, I got yelled at a lot for, you know, close the fridge. You're letting all the cool air out, you know? I didn't care. I was like, I'm going to make this girl happy, smile. And so Monday came. I'm excited. I woke up 30 minutes early and to make sure that the, the flower was prepared, that it was okay and it was good to go. And so uh, <laughs> I did not take this uh, flower out of the Ziploc bag. Like it's, it's one of those like sandwich bags, you know, like just regular sandwich bag. I took that thing with me and I carried it. I did not put it in my bag. I was not risking smushing it or damaging it in any way I wanted this to be perfect and so I get to school and I see her there you know we're in the hallway uh it's we have like you know five ten minutes before you know class officially starts and I remember her looking up at me and smiling at me please find yourself a person that whenever they see you they don't just look up at you and not smile if they smile every single time that you see them keep that person close keep that person close all right like they they're they're not smiling because they have to they're smiling because you give them a, you give them a reason to smile you know keep those people around and when you see those people man smile back smile back uh we know those people in our life i mean and i'm not saying like it, it has to be in a romantic sense i mean it could be a friendship sense too right if People are annoyed by you, then, you know, they may not want to be around you. Now, 
there's also that friendship dynamic too, where, you know, you may be so sarcastic towards each other. You don't really smile, say, Hey, but you're like best friends, right? Keep that too. That, that you know, I don't want to say, Oh, smiling equals best friends. No, 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 no. It doesn't. <laughs> no. If you get each other on like a, a, a deeper level, like you both understand each other and you don't have to smile to prove that, keep that friendship going, keep that relationship going. If it's a romantic nature, cool, go for it. But, uh, yeah, six-year-old me was smiling at six-year-old her. And, uh, I mean, I was, I was crazy about this girl. And, and once I gave her that flower, she, she did, here's what I liked about her even more. She did not look at me funny because it was in a Ziploc bag. She kind of giggled and I was nervous at first. I was like, Oh no, what's she giggling for? And it turns out, I mean, and her face, she started turning red. She blushed. She had blonde hair. Um, and so you could, you could really see her face just blushing and I started blushing and there was that awkward silence. We were both, you know, grabbing, you know, I was grabbing my hands. I didn't know what to do with my hands, you know, uh, you know, Ricky Bobby, I, I don't know what to do with my hands. It was that situation. I had no clue what to do. I didn't want to run away because I mean, if I ran away, that means I'm running away from her and that's not what I want. Um, and so, yeah, you know, we do, we do crazy, we do crazy things, you know, for love. We do exciting things for love. I mean, I think two years later, you know, um, is third grade. I joined the choir. I knew she was in the choir. I was the only guy in the choir and, um, yeah, totally worth it. <laughs> you know, uh, my choir teacher took me to the side. She was like, uh, so why are you, why are you uh, joining choir? I mean, she was excited that I was joining cause Hey, you know, I'm like the first guy that's in it and maybe it'll, you know, you know, maybe encourage other guys to join. Uh, she kind of knew that I was, I was crazy about this one particular person. Okay. Everybody knew. Cause I talked about her a lot. I was like, Hey, did you see what she's wearing? She's so pretty. You know, I would, I would always brag about her. That's the thing. Like when you, when you like someone so much, you want to brag about them. If you don't like them very much, you're not going to brag about them. You're going to hide them. You're going to minimize their existence in your life. Um, but for me, I wanted to maximize my knowledge of this person who I was involved with at the time. I mean, I love relationships and that was like my first one. That was my first relationship that, um, that I had. And it was, it was exciting. It was my first experience, my experience with a, you know, dating relationship. And I think for the longest time, I've always been obsessed with relationships. I mean, for the, you know, I would, um, I love commitment. You know, I love that ability to commit to one person and that person commit back to you, right? It's never just one way. It is both ways. And I love the idea of somebody knowing you a little bit better compared to other people in the population, right? I, I love the secret telling aspect of it. You know, I mean, it's, it's embarrassing to you, but you trust this person and you know that they, you know, they won't look down on you for it, or at least you hope they won't look down on you for it. Uh, there's just so many aspects to it and not just like the serious stuff, also the fun stuff. They love the same movies, the same music. Uh, they love going to the same places, going on road trips together. Um, it's exciting. It really is. And I love that aspect of it. And obviously with every great aspect, there's also the not so great aspects, uh, the misunderstandings, right? Uh, the, uh, you know, I didn't mean it that way, or you took it wrong that way kind of side of it, you know, that miscommunication where 
Uh, there may be miscommunication from both sides or maybe one side or the other. Either way, it's miscommunication. And, you know, your ability to be able to rebound from that miscommunication to being able to talk things out without, you know, yelling, arguing, name calling, you know, any of that stuff. Um, you know, that's, that's strength in a relationship. You know, it's not all the fun stuff, all the Mexican food you can eat when you go out watching movies, you know, um, you know, all the physical stuff, whatever it may be, you know, it's not just that the strength of the relationship is also in times of grief, times of trauma. Um, you know, and a lot of times you have to be able to, you know, realize that relationships take work. They do. Um, relationships take work, but if the relationship is worth it, then that work will, you'll want to do it. You will want to do it. You will want to make sure that you're doing everything in your power that you can to sustain the relationship. And I don't mean just survive in it. Okay. Like there are some relationships you just have to, you have to get out of there, whether it be because of domestic violence, whether it be because that person is not making you better, they're making you worse. Um, you know, things like that, that's different, right? But if you truly see potential in this person, you know, and you, you feel like that you really could see a long life with them, and then, yeah, maybe it may be worth, you know, trying to resolve some of that conflict. Um, there's just, there's also personalities you have to take into consideration. There are some personalities that do not mesh well together at all. And when those personalities don't mesh together, a lot more misunderstandings happen. Maybe someone's way more, you know, sarcastic in the way they talk. And maybe you're not so sarcastic. You're very literal. And that can create some conflict. That can create some miscommunication. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's a big thing of weighing the, you know, pros versus cons. You know, what's what are the pros of this relationship? Is this person making me better? Does this person have my best interest in mind, in their mind? Are they really, really concerned about my well-being, my mental health, my physical well-being? Do they want the best for me or are they selfish and just wanting to see what they can get out of me? You know, you have to weigh that. And obviously that just takes time. That takes those frequent interactions on a daily basis to really learn about that person and to see, okay, short term, this is not looking good, which means long term, it really isn't going to be good. We're just going to be miserable. So... You know, a lot of times, you know, for my first relation, you know, for my first dates, which lead to relationships, I always start with coffee, right? I start with coffee. That's like a good, good, you know, first date. You know, you sit down, cup of coffee, have something to hide behind, right? It's not very big, but you also don't have food stuffed in your face or you're not spitting food bits at each other, trying to get to know each other. <laughs> you know, you have coffee, you have tea, whatever it may be, whatever you're, that's my first date go-to is, is coffee. Like, hey, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself. You know, what do you... You know, what do you like to do? What are you doing now? What do you want to do? You know, I'm I'm really big into someone who has an idea. Doesn't mean they know the future, but somebody who has an idea of what they want to do with their life or what makes them happy now. And they want to continue doing that. You know, little stuff like that. So like I mentioned earlier, um, you know, it's not always uh, happy, happy times. You know, it's not all rainbows and butterflies. Um, you know, with those happy times come those down times, and those down times even come with heartbreak. Uh, specifically, I remember back a long time ago, I think it was 2008, um, I had just gotten out of a uh, 
a serious relationship that I thought, okay, this could go all the way from marriage, and it did not, and I took it pretty hard. So I I remember back then, uh, so long ago, uh, I was thinking, you know what? I'm just going to have fun. I'm going to keep it casual. I'm not going to do anything serious. And so I go to the beach and, you know, Destin, Florida, great beach. And I go with a couple of friends and I meet somebody down there and they just so happen to live like an hour away at the time uh, in Houston, in Memphis. They were living in Memphis. I've lived in so many cities, Houston, Chicago. So this time uh, was, was Memphis. And uh, I met her and I was like, hey, you seem fun. You seem cool. Where are you from? And she said, oh, I'm from Memphis. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, I had no plans. I mean, I was just, I had just graduated with my undergrad in psychology and I really didn't have any plans. I didn't plan ahead for like to get a master's. I didn't know what the GRE was. Um, you know, so I didn't plan on taking that. I figured I'll just work in the workforce. I'll do some social work. And that was, you know, at the time before I became a doctor and Memphis, you know, they have a lot of social work needs. I mean, it's a big city and it's not far from my undergrad where I'm at. So I ended up relocating there and I haven't told, I haven't told very many people this. So I actually end up, uh, when I moved to Memphis, you know, I kept up with this person, this random stranger that I met on the beach. I think I was just pretty, uh, vulnerable at a time. I mean, it was clearly a rebound. I know it was. Um, but at the time I was like, you know what, this is new opportunity. You know, one thing you can't put in a planner is an opportunity. So, I mean, I've always had that phrase with me. And so, um, yeah, I took advantage of it. So I had some reason to move to Memphis, not just for the workforce, but Hey, maybe for this random girl, maybe something fun could happen with it. And, um, I had no place to live at the time. So it gets better. Uh, I actually end up moving in with her, uh, and her parents. She was in college at the time and she was living at home and, uh, I lived with them. It was kind of a weird dynamic. And, uh, I was there for like a month or two and they actually have a cabin about three, uh, three hours away from Memphis in, uh, Arkansas and Heber Springs, Arkansas. I still remember it. And I remember me, her and her family went up there and we, um, <laughs> you know, we, we, we were on the lake, you know, they had a pontoon boat. We, you know, rode sea dews. It was really fun. And, uh, you know, we went there once I remember. And then I think two weeks later we went back again, but, uh, it wasn't very fun the second time around. Uh, I remember her talking about her ex-boyfriend and the reason being is that we talked about it that night. I went to the beach with a couple of friends in Destin because I was kind of getting a relationship while she went to Destin cause she was getting a relationship as well. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, fast forward. Two weeks later, we go back to her, the lake house in Huber Springs. Her, her fam, you know, her parents owned it. And I remember her describing this guy's car. It was a gold, like, uh, what kind of car was it? I mean, it was like a gold car. Uh, I forgot the model of it. But as, as I'm, she's riding with me. As I drive up, you know, to the lake house, uh, to the front, you know, driveway, I see this car and I'm like, this is a gold car. You don't see very many gold cars. You really don't. So that one stuck out to me. I was like, oh no, is that who I think it? And then as soon as the passenger side door opens up, she gets out. She runs towards this guy. 
I mean, like a, you know, like a jump, you know, like a, you know, figure skating, you know, you, you do the jump and you do the twirl. Um, yeah, it was one of those hugs. Did not seem friendly at all. And I didn't even know who the guy was, but I put two and two together. And uh, it was the ex, the original reason why she went to the beach in the first place. And apparently they had been talking for quite a while. Again, keep in mind, I am living in this person's house. I am three hours away from Memphis. And they hook up in front of her parents. And her parents actually encouraged this because, oh, he's a friend of the family. I'm like, really? <laughs> I was like, this is embarrassing. This is awful. This is, this is, uh, this is about as deep as I can get. Um, so I remember, and I mentioned Jay Nanny once, uh, you know, in my podcast. I'm mentioning him again because I called him that night, and I was like, "Bro, I messed up." And I explained the whole situation. He calmed me down. I was flustered. I was, I was mad. I mean, again, I love relationships and I love loyalty. I love commitment, and. Uh, that happened. And so, um, I remember that night, uh, I think it was around midnight or so. Uh, I, I actually stayed there once I saw them, I stayed there for a couple hours and she ignored me the entire time, the entire trip. They were hanging out together. They rode sea dues together. And I'm just sitting there on the pontoon boat with my arms folded, shaking my head. Like what is going on? This is not really happening. I mean, you hear about, you know, getting cheated on. You hear about people hooking up with other people away from you. You don't really see it in front of your own eyes. And I actually saw it in front of my own eyes. And I felt like I was on Mars because I figured, okay, clearly I can't be the only one that has an issue with this. And it turns out I was the only one that had an issue with this. This seemed kind of like a a good outcome thing for her and her family. So, um, yeah, later that night... I ended up driving back to their house by myself. I packed up whatever things I had. And thankfully, Ben Lane, he was a friend of mine in college. He just so happened to be going to seminary there in Memphis, uh, which was, and it was like 20 minutes away from their house. Thankfully, he was like, hey, come crash on my couch. You know, you're in Memphis, come crash. And, you know, I reached out to him and I said, hey, can you, can you please let me, I just need to crash for one night. I ended up staying there for about two to three months. And... The reason it took that long is that um, a job that I had originally... So I did move to Memphis for a job. I did get offered a job um, in Memphis. Obviously, meeting random girl helped. <laughs> you know, I was... It was a rebound. It was. But I had originally moved there for a job, and the job fell through, so I couldn't move into an apartment. So he let me crash on his couch for three months. And I remember the first night uh, that I was there, not... That I think I got to his place at like 3 a.m. in the morning. The next night, him and a couple of other couple of other buddies, they were there, and they were watching this show. And guess what that show was? My favorite show now of all time, How I Met Your Mother. Uh, it, was in, it was season three. I had no clue what the show was about. I was two seasons behind already, but I fell in love with the show. And so that's kind of my go-to show now. Like I, a lot of people wonder, you know, they ask, why are you so obsessed with that show? It came at a very, very crucial part in my life. A lot of people don't know about the story of me meeting random Memphis girl in Destin. And, you know, so there it is. That's the honest truth. Um, and yeah, um, you know, that was, that was, that was a big, uh, big heartache for sure. Um, so 
I know I need to talk about this. Uh, I've avoided it for as long as I can. Uh, you know, my producer knows, uh, my close friends know. I usually record these episodes, you know, physically on like Tuesday, and it's already Wednesday, uh, a little bit later. And uh, it's not that I was too busy to do it, I was avoiding it, but here we go. I'm going to go through it. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm not going to mention the name of, uh, you know, my ex spouse. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to talk about any specific events. Like this is not the point. Uh, this is not the whole point of what my talk is. Uh, really it's going to be more so for, for how it affected me personally. Um, so, you know, just for the record, there was no domestic violence involved. There was no infidelity. There you go. That's the only things that you're really going to know about it. Um, you know, we met when uh, I was a medical student. Uh, we met on Facebook dating app. So that is a real thing. Uh, people do meet on there. That's actually becoming a common way to meet people, uh, significant others, and even, you know, future spouses. I mean, hey, good for you. I actually know some friends that met that way. And hey, they're still married. They're, you know, they're doing great. So, uh, but that was the way that we met. We got to know each other for a little bit. And, um, you know, we, uh, we did end up, you know, getting married, I think about a year and a half later. So we had enough time to really get to know each other, get to know one another. And then we relocated to, um, to a different state. Uh, and I mean, it was across the country as, as, you know, um, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to find the words. Um, I'm leaving these pauses in here because I, I really want you to get the idea of what's going through my mind. And a lot of times I lose track. A lot of times I, you know, get emotional. Um, it's part of it. Um, just over time, um, the communication started to suffer. It did. Uh, the smiles started to become less and less. Um, the physical affection became less and less. I mean, not even wanting to hold hands, not even wanting to, you know, give hugs or reassurance or anything like that. That died. It really did. And I mean, I know I mentioned miscommunication before. I think that was the biggest thing was miscommunication. We were very, we had two very different personalities. Now, different personalities does not mean, you know, the end game. It, it doesn't. It doesn't. It does affect the outcome. Sure, absolutely. You can have a happy outcome or an outcome that leads to divorce, and mine happened to be the latter. Um, you know, my parents, they've been married for 45-plus years, so I don't know divorce uh, up until this point. Like, I, I don't know divorce. I am I'm a physician. I always thought, okay, let's have a treatment plan. Let's have a plan of action. Let's try every single thing before we pull the plug so to speak, you know, let's, let's try it. And, you know, you get discouraged when the first thing doesn't work, when the second thing doesn't work, when the third thing doesn't work. And you're running out of ideas on how to save this relationship, how to better the communication. It is just, you are running thin, you know, time is running out. And for me, I just, I was so disappointed in myself because I could not save the communication in our marriage. I felt like, to this day, I mean, for anybody close that knows me, this is my biggest failure. 
is my is my first marriage. And the reason being is that I felt like even though I rationally did everything that I could in my power to try and save the marriage, you know, it, it didn't matter what I said, how many times I said it, what I did, how many times I did it, it did not matter. Um, you know, the marriage was, it was faltering. It was. And um, it got to a point to where, you know, when the communication's poor, you're not even, you become roommates. You know, that's, that's really what it, what it came down to. We became roommates. We became uh, spouses by law. It wasn't husband and wife. We were spouses by law. And, um, you know, over time, it just led to the poor communication and eventually, you know, divorce was filed. So, you know, I, I don't want to talk about the aspects of like what led up to the divorce. I, I really don't want to. That's, that's probably the extent of it. What I want to talk about is after the divorce. Um, well, like the months during, so we did uh, separate for a couple of months before the divorce was final. So those months, you know, during separation, uh, just again, I'm just speaking on my side. Um, you know, there were days of hope. There were days of no hope. There were days of, wow, this is totally worth it. And there's days of, nah, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta let it go. You know, like the, this roller coaster of emotions. I felt every single one of them. And I don't think I've cried more than I have during my separation. Um, and it was a lot of self-blame. It really was. I blamed myself for everything. I do that anyways. I've been blaming myself since I was a kid. And I, I did seek therapy, you know, um, after, you know, when the separation happened, I did uh, obtain therapy. I did. Uh, I was going through, you know, I was going through some separation trauma and then eventually I would, you know, experience some divorce trauma. And I knew that I needed to talk with someone. Uh, you know, yeah, I go to the gym for stress. Cool. That's great. But uh, you are masking the real issue, my friend. If you think the gym four or five times a week is going to solve all your problems, it's not. It really isn't. Um, I, th you know, I thought, okay, well, my heart hurts, so maybe other parts of my body can hurt, and that pain will transfer from my heart to other parts of my body, whether it be chest day, tricep day, back day, you know, leg day, as long as it's not on my heart. And, you know, after about a, you know, a couple of weeks, I realized, no, nah, the gym alone is not going to help. I need to talk about it to somebody. So I encourage you, uh, if you're going through a separation right now, or if you're going through a new divorce. Um, please talk to somebody, talk to a therapist, talk to a licensed professional about what's going on. Talk to your PCP, your primary care physician, let them know, Hey, I'm going through this and they will guide you in the right direction. Um, you know, uh, whether it be, you know, talk to a therapist or if you have other areas of, you know, generalized anxiety disorder or depression, um, you know, always, always be open and honest with your primary care physician. They don't want to just hear that it burns when you pee. They don't want to just hear, hey, my throat hurts. They really want to know what's going on with you emotionally and mentally too. Really do. So please share that with them. Uh, so I know I kind of went all over the board, uh, but like I said, you know, we separated uh, September of last year. And when that separation happened, it felt like someone died. It felt like a physical death of the closest person that I had ever been close with. 
that is what it felt like. It felt like that person is gone and they will not be back anymore. And that was very tough. That was very hard to, um, to deal with. And then, um, you know, a couple months in, uh, the decision was made to, you know, file. And so, uh, that happened in, um, March, end of March. And then it got finalized, uh, you know, about a month ago, actually. So, you know, what I want to talk about, like I said, just the feelings of it. Um, and, you know, feelings of not feeling, being good enough, not being good enough to, you know, really be that husband that I thought I could be. I took that so personal. I really did. I take everything personal. <laughs> I really do. Um, it may not sound like it, but I do. And I'm working on that. I am a work in progress and I'm always going to be a work in progress. Um, you know, uh, some days when I sleep, right, when I, when I wake up, I wake up single. And then some days when I wake up, I wake up divorced. And I want you to let that sink in what that really means. Um, you know, some days it's okay that I'm single, that, Hey, you know, it's a good day. I'm, I'm still moving forward. And then there's other days where you wake up divorced and, and you have that, that divorce trauma I mentioned, you know, it, it's, it literally feels like, um, uh, the relationship ended like a day or two ago. And it's not in the fact of, Oh, I miss this person. It's not that it's the trauma of a breaking marriage. It's, you know, your expectations were not met. I expected to be with this person for 70 plus years. That was my expectation. So it's not just a marriage breaking, it's your own personal expectations breaking. And now you have to adjust. You have to adjust emotionally. You have to adjust physically with any kind of shared property, which, you know, we had no property, we had no children, um, which kind of made the, you know, the process a little bit easier. Um, but every single day you're having to readjust uh, to that new way of life. It is a new way of life. I did not want that. When I got married once, I wanted to get married once because, like I said, growing up, I don't know divorce. I know how there are problems, and then you talk those problems out, you forgive each other, and you move forward. You know, um, that's how I thought. That's how I thought the workup was. And it's not like that. <laughs> it's not. Uh, you are not immune to divorce, my friend. You're not. Uh, no matter... How big of a heart you have? I have a Ted Mosby heart. If anybody knows uh, How I Met Your Mother, Ted Mosby, he's the main guy. He has the biggest heart. He's been through some insane relationships. Um, he's been in love more times than I can count. <laughs> but, um, you know, I relate to him because he's a hopeless romantic. He has the he has these expectations, and then when they don't happen, uh, it hurts him deeply. And so I, I feel like I can just relate to that character. You know, we have shows that we watch that, you know, we love those shows because we can, we can relate to them realistically. It's not just comedy. It's, you know, real life truths that we can relate to. Um, you know, Taylor Swift, there's a lot of Swifties out there. You know, I hear, I heard someone, uh, say, you know, she sings my truth. You know, it's like, okay. <laughs> I mean, if she sings your truth, if, if you can relate to that person, Awesome. Because that means we can better relate to you, right? And so a lot of people, they watch the show, they watch How I Met Your Mother, and they, 
they were like, oh, okay, so if you're like Ted Mosby, we've seen Ted Mosby, we have an idea that you're probably a hopeless romantic, and, uh, you know, and it's like, yeah, I am. Uh, so I know that's kind of scattered. It really is. Um, but I wanted to give you some encouragement to anybody who's either currently separated right now, what I did during separation, and then I'll talk about, you know, divorce. So during separation, I focused on myself. I did, um, a, you know, I read a couple of self help books when it came to being separated, like what's the main focus that you should focus on. And, um, you know, please reach out to me on my Instagram page. If you want to know that, uh, what the name of that book is. Yes. I'm forcing you to message me, reach out to our show (laughs) so we can talk. Um, but yeah, I mean, the book really just focused on yourself, right? That's the big thing. Focus on yourself. If you feel like you have no value, you need to focus on obtaining that self value right now. Uh, that is necessary. You need that for you. You need to find yourself because you have lost yourself. And I lost myself. I really did. I was in a panic state trying to, you know, you know, save a sinking ship that had so many holes in it. And I tried every single method to try to patch up every single hole I could find, and I could not keep up with the water. I could not keep up with the drowning with the water that was drowning me. I couldn't. And I knew I had to focus on myself. I lost myself for the longest time. I didn't love myself at all. I needed to find myself. I needed to appreciate myself more. And I'm not talking about a narcissistic approach where you think you're all that in a bag of Cheetos. I'm saying you need to find your self-worth away from what other people think of you. Stop trying to impress other people. Stop trying to find value in other people's eyes. And look in the mirror. Those are the only eyes you need to worry about right now is your own in that mirror. Okay? You have worth. You are worthy. You are worth it. And I had to repeat myself, and I still repeat myself, repeat that to myself every single day. You're worth it. You know, when I say give yourself some grace at the end of every show, I really mean it. Give yourself some grace. I need to give myself some grace. I need to forgive myself. I did everything I could in a relationship that just ultimately was not meant to be. Um, I know that's a lot. I, I'm happy that I did everything I could to save this relationship. I really am. I'm happy. And I'm, you know... I'm sure she feels the same way about her trying to save relationship as well. I mean, this is no discredit to her. Uh, but again, I can't speak for her. I can't, I can only speak for myself. So, you know, we both tried, we both realized that it just wasn't meant to be. And we both decided it's time to move forward, time to move on. And that's the ultimate part of it. Um, I reached out to a lot of people who had been divorced and, I sought their, you know, their guidance. I really did. Uh, I sought out close friends who I knew I would trust their word. And they helped me get through that period, that emotional period of, you know, that fresh separation, right? Um, And they really helped me. They really helped me have some perspective on the situation. They didn't say, they didn't downsize it. They didn't minimize it. They didn't say that, oh, you know, there's worse things, you know, she could have cheated on you. You could have cheated on her. No, they didn't do any of that. They validated my feelings in that moment. And they told me it's going to be okay. It is going to be okay, friend. It will. And 
I guarantee you, time is a great healer. It's not the fastest healer, but it is probably one of the best healers that I know is time. Time, reflection on yourself, uh, loving yourself again, finding your self-worth, talking it out with a therapist, talking it out with your friends, and realizing that you are worth it and that this is not the end of your life. The end of your marriage is not the end of your life, okay? It is not. It's just the end of a marriage. And that means there's more on the horizon for you. It's another chapter of your life. And as hard as it was to talk about this during this episode, and I know there's a lot of, like I said, I'm not going to edit this thing. Uh, I really want you to hear the pauses. I, I need you to hear it because this is what it's like. This is, this is what it's like uh, after divorce. Um, so after divorce, um, like I said, I've been working, you know, been busy in residency. That's been, you know, keeping me busy. But I've also had colleagues that have become such close friends that have provided encouragement and have let me know that, hey, you know, you're doing the best you can. You really are. You're doing the best. Keep keep at it. You know, be that for somebody. Uh, keep being that great encourager. Um, and it's a roller coaster. You know, there's going to be a lot of days where like, man, I'm on the top of the world. I feel great. And then one little moment, one little, you know, particular date may come up, one place, you know, like a restaurant may like, you know, like, oh, that used to be our restaurant or something like that. And then it just puts you in this mood, right? It puts you in this just sullen mood and it almost feels as if, you know, the relationship ended like four days ago. It's crazy how it happens. But the good news is, is that those little moments, they're going to happen less and less and less over time. Okay. Um, yeah, <laughs> so uh, there is there is sunshine after that storm, okay? There is. The sun is there. It never left, okay? The sunshine never left. The storm will leave. Storms don't last forever. It may feel like it, but they don't last forever. Um, keep on moving. Keep those feet moving. Realize that, you know, if it's not that person, it could be another person, you know, in your life. I, I mean, I don't know what, what the world has for me. I don't know what the future holds for me. I, I really don't. I'm just happy that I'm finally loving myself again and that I appreciate myself. Um, I'm saying I hate myself a lot less, which is huge improvement. And I'm blaming myself less, you know. And I say that, blaming yourself less hating yourself less, right? It's not going to be a one day, that's it. You hated yourself, now you love yourself. Nah, it's a process, and it's going to take some time. Uh, but with enough time, patience, um, you know, it's going to be fine. Um, you know, uh, my colleague, <laughs> we call her Danny, uh, Dr. Bensel, uh, she said, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, some days I wake up single and some days I wake up divorced. And then after that, she said, well, some days I wake up feeling great and independent. And some days I want help with the groceries at the end of the day. <laughs> and I, I laughed. That felt good. That was just one of those things where, um, you know, those little words of encouragement. I mean, that was encouragement to me. So Danny, you rock. Uh, so yeah, I guess that's it. That's it for this week. 
Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe and check out the All the Fills podcast on Instagram. And I want to thank my producer and marketing director, Kayla McLean, for his hard work and diligence. If you enjoy the show, please leave a like and review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Remember to give yourself some grace and remember to join me next week as we get into the feels in All the Fills. So long.